Welcome to FHOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Hebrews chapter 11. We are going through the book of Hebrews. A lot of times called the Faith Hall of Fame. And we've gone through several of these. And um, we're going to be today, we're going to be looking at Abraham. And Abraham kind of gets some special attention. Abraham, he, he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of, what am I going to try to say? He gets a lot of look from the writer of Hebrews. So we're actually going to spend a couple of weeks on Abraham, and actually uh, Dad's going to come in next week and, and finish up this on Abraham. And then we, 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 my goal is to have different men and women of God to come in and share on these different passages. I think I've convinced my sister to do Joseph. So uh, she, was, she was chomping at the bit, actually. So she's pretty excited. I was like, well, you know the part on Joseph was only like this big. She's like, it doesn't matter. There's more in there about him. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go. If we go to uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, starting with the 8th verse, this is what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Everyone said obeyed. Underline obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's, that's fun. Can you imagine the day Lord saying, all right, you're moving. Okay, God, where to? Just pack the car. Yeah, but where are we going? I said, pack the car. Yes, yes, Lord. He obeyed. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, and we're going to do Sarah today too, since Abraham gets two weeks. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars in the heavens, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And it goes on to say this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who, were, people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of what that land from which they had gone out, they would have excuse me, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, 
They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This passage that we read from actually comes to us, starts in Genesis chapter 11. And if you're taking notes, you can just write these down. It says in Genesis 11:31, it says, Terah took Abraham, or excuse me, Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into a land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And I want to stop here because at this point in the passage, we see that Abraham's name is not Abraham. His name is simply Abram. And we'll get into that here in a second. Abram, who would soon be called Abraham. And what I think is interesting in this passage in 1131, it says they were going out to the land that God had promised them. God had said, okay, you're going to go out. There's a land that I've promised to you. And what I get for the, this passage is they got part of the way there, but when they came to Haran, which was not the land God had promised to them, they settled there. And, and this strikes me in my heart because sometimes God, he says, listen, I want you to step out in faith and go to a new land. And we go and we get part of the way there. And we are like, okay, well, I sort of did what God told me to. And then we just settle, even though we're not to the place where God has told us to be yet. Is anyone else besides me guilty of that? But God, I'm doing something good. I'm being, I'm being partially obedient. My mama always told me that partial obedience is still full disobedience. But what we see in chapter 12, we actually God, see God come to Abram again. It says in 12, 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I want to stop right there and, and say the reason Abram stopped short is because the rest of his family stopped. See, he had left with his family, and this is where they all stopped. So he stopped when they stopped. And sometimes we're guilty of stopping where the people closest to us stop. We think we can move on in our spiritual life. Like, okay, well, this is how far my family goes. This is how all, even our spiritual family here, some of you are limited, maybe in your worship, maybe in your walk with God, because you're comparing yourself to the other people in this congregation, and God is telling you to go further. But aren't these real great, awesome men and women of God in this room? You're absolutely right. And if you're not careful, you'll let the person sitting beside you in this room dictate how far you go in your faith and you'll settle where was i here we go he says and i excuse me and i will make you uh and i will make you a great nation and i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, Abram, excuse me, went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was 75 years old. He did not use that as an excuse, like, it's time for me to settle, God. We don't try new things. Now, this is my whole life. I've been in this place, and God's saying, no, it's time to move. It's time to move now. And he goes. Now, Lot ends up tagging along with him, which I don't know if that was a blessing or not. But he goes. But the interesting part in chapter 12, in those first few verses, is God says this to Abram. He says, and you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, the Lord reminds him again and begins to strike a covenant with him. He says, he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven. This is what he's saying to Abram. And number the stars. Have you ever tried to go outside and count the stars? How many just have ever just gone out and just kind of laid back and just looked up at the night sky. Isn't it just wonderful? It's crazy. The, like, because there's the stars you can see, and then when it gets real dark, there's all those, like, extra stars that are, like, behind the stars. And it's just intense when it gets muddied up by all these city lights. But it, Abram didn't have all those city lights. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Because he did what? He believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then something happens later on in 17, verse 5. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, can I, can I say in this moment, when he's saying this in 17, 5, at this point, so technically Abraham had a kid with his wife's servant. But in this passage, God is saying, your name is going to be called Abraham, which means father of many nations, and you're going to be the father of many nations through your wife, Sarah. And that's where he changes her name to Sarah. And this is what's crazy. He changes his name. He changes his name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. And through God's plan, he had zero kids. He had no offspring in the line that God wanted him to have offspring. Can you imagine him walking up to people and introducing himself? Hi, what's your name? My name's Bob. What's your name? My name's Abraham. My name is the father of many nations. Oh, really? How many kids do you have? Because you must be like the Duggars at that point, you know? I would say that Father Duggar, his name might be the father of many nations, Abraham's like, oh, well, technically I have zero. Zero? And he walks this out in faith. 
Can you like like to change your name to something so that every time someone even says who you are, they're reminding you that you need to walk in faith and not by your sight. Hey, Father of many nations. I guarantee you some people said it sarcastically to him. I can't guarantee it from the Bible. I just guarantee it from knowing human nature. Hey, Father of many nations. <laughs> hey, uh, we have these donkeys you wanted. Yeah, Father of many nations. And you know what? Through the insult, through, through all that, he stands on what God has told him. And what he says is, through you, all families on the earth will be blessed. And what we find out later is the reason he says that is because the reason all families on earth will be blessed is because there's something, someone coming through that line, and that someone is named Jesus Christ. He will come to the line of Abraham. And Jesus lives a sinless life, dies on the cross for our sins. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that we can be the righteousness of God in Christ. Because, see, we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sin. All the bad stuff we've done, we deserve hell. We deserve death. And what Jesus does is he comes in and says, I will give you life by taking your punishment for you. And he does that for the whole world. So that anyone who calls in his name might have life. So when God is saying to him, all families on earth are going to be blessed through you. That's what he's talking about. This covenant with Abraham. What's interesting, I think, of this passage of Hebrews chapter 11, and the part that, that caused me concern is the Sarah part. Anybody else? Because it says in this chapter, it says that, um, where, what verse am I in here? It says, by faith, where's Sarah? Hey, Sarah, I lost you. 11? Oh, that's right, 11. Um, 11, 11. Let, let's read it. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Hey, listen, listen. This is the story. Let me read it to you. This is why this shocks me. Listen, listen to this. Genesis chapter 18 Verses 9 through 15. This is her exercising faith. The story is God shows up to Abraham. Abraham goes out to meet God. And Sarah's hiding in the tent, kind of listening. She's, she's eavesdropping. She's listening in from, from the tent. And these messengers from God, they say to him, where's your wife? Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said to them, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old advanced in years it's like the writer just wanted to make sure that you knew they weren't just old comma advanced in years he's emphasizing this point the way of women had ceased to be with sarah further emphasizing this point 
So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, she's calling Abraham old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. She lied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And that's the story of Sarah. That's crazy to me. That's the way the story starts. But according to the writer of Hebrews, and as I was studying this and looking this up, there's something different. It lists several people, and I thought, well, maybe it's saying Sarah was a beneficiary to faith, right? Because Abraham great, had great faith. So it, may, it must have meant that Sarah was just by proxy a beneficiary to Abraham's faith. But as I studied this and, and, and got deeper into the original language and all that and what other scholars saw, there, there's something in this that isn't in any other person in this list. It says this. By faith, is it up there? Can you pull it up there? It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. What it really means is it was Sarah's own faith. Sarah herself had this faith so that she can conceive. Which, which can I tell you something? This is super encouraging to me. Because there's been times when God tells me to do things, and I'm like, Pfft. That's impossible. That's just like, God, there's no way. There's no way. There's been times the Lord speaks to my heart, and I'm just like, you got to be kidding. You got it. Like, that doesn't look like faith at all. How many know the Lord is gracious? The Lord is good. And, and when I read Genesis, I read it as there's like, if I were the guy writing Hebrews, there's no way I'm including Sarah in this list because of her initial reaction to God saying, you're going to have a kid, <laughs> whatever. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews stopped with. He didn't just look at what she initially said. He looked at the action that came out afterwards. Didn't Jesus even tell a story about a master who asked his two sons to do something for him? And one of them said, oh, yeah, God, sure. Yes, Lord, I'll, yes, Master, I'll do what you say. But then he didn't do it. But the second son actually told the master, no. And yet went and was obedient anyway, right? Which one was actually obedient? Which one actually exercised faith in what the master was telling him to do? The one that initially acted wrong but then returned with their actions and acted right. And this goes back to what we were talking about last week with James, where it says, faith without works is dead. And so, yeah, yeah, Sarah, she reacted quite wrong. And some of you, good news for you. When the first time God told you to do something, you reacted quite wrong. And yet, Lord, the Lord in his mercy and his grace and his love for you, he's still just waiting on your obedience. 
even if your first reaction was laughing or even a straight-out no. The Lord's just waiting for you to pick yourself up out of that pig pen and run back home so he can get you back to where he wants you to be. Walking out with action. It goes back to the first verse we read today. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And what we see here is somewhere between this laugh and a year later, something happened in Sarah where she was able, by faith, by faith, to conceive a child. Her faith herself is what it was. It wasn't Abraham's faith. It was her faith herself. This second part of this Hebrews chapter 11, it, it, it strikes me in verse 13 because it says, these all died in faith, having or not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Can I tell you something? Abraham, while he was on the earth, did not see a multitude of nations from him. He did not see his descendants. It says here what he did was he saw it from afar off, and he believed. He saw it from, he greeted it from afar. And, and, and this goes back to the, the very beginning of this passage where it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so for Abraham to say, okay, God, I believe that you are going to make me the father of many nations, and I will never see it in my lifetime. And how many things has God called us to that we might never see the fruit of in our lifetime? But my question is, is it all about you? Or is it about you being faithful to what God has called you to do? That you might never see it in your lifetime, but you will be faithful and diligent. And you will continue to speak what God has told you. Even like, it still... I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the, every person he meets, I'm the father of many nations. There's no way you'll ever see that in your lifetime, Abraham. Yeah, but I'm the father of many nations. Are you going to continue to speak what God has said to you, to those around you, and let your faith invade the hearts of every other single person around you to let it be contagious and spill over into their lives? Jesus called this rivers of living water, that when we put our faith and trust even in Jesus Christ himself, no longer are we just some empty person, but now we have, we're not just a living well, but even now that we have rivers of living water, our faith welling up out of us and spreading to all those around you. And I would say if your faith isn't that, it isn't faith. What I think is so drastic about all these examples of men and women of God in this book is 
all their faith was very visible to the people around them. There's no such thing as secret faith. My dad always called them chameleon Christians. They just blend in with everyone around them. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Faith is so outward. It's so expressive. When Jesus changes your life, you are forever changed. When Jesus touches your heart, there's things about you that you, you can't go back to the way things were. Corinthians, it says that if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Guess what? All things become new. And ladies and gentlemen, today I am new because of what Christ did in me, not because of anything I did in myself because I in myself, I, I, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make it right. I couldn't make it better. But when Jesus came into my life, Everything changed, and now that faith is expressed to those around me. In verse 14, it says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And this is what I say, this homeland, they're seeking. It's a heavenly homeland. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's, it's crazy to me today, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but today there's a lot. We hear on the news about immigration and, and, you know, foreigners coming in. And it's not just in America. They're dealing it with it in Europe and all places around the world. Like, how, how do we deal with the foreigner? I just want you to realize that, ladies and gentlemen, that here this morning, we are, we are strangers to this world. We are for, like, it's so hard because we believe the greatest reality we have is the things that we see around us. Can I say something this morning? There's a greater reality in your life than being an American citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven first before I'm an American citizen. That's a greater reality in my life, and it shades the way I act in everything I do. And I, can I tell you this morning? I am seeking a homeland. I am seeking... Let me do it like this. Can I, can I read to you a few verses? I'm going to do it anyway. Can I tell you something? Heaven is a real place. Hell, hell is a real place, but that's another sermon for another day. Heaven is a real place. Let me just tell you a few places. In, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, this is what it says. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what it's talking about, heaven. In John 14, 2, it, it, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is a preparing a place for us in his Father's house. This is a real place. John 3.16, it does tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. But this is what it says, but have eternal life, that heaven is eternal. It lasts forever. 
In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, as written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and can I tell you something? That's, that's not just heaven. And, and this is what the greatest, the coolest thing we can have, right? Heaven is real. And, and, and I have more verses. There's like so many verses in, he, in, in the Bible that describe heaven as this amazing, beautiful, wonderful place. But can I tell you something that's an even greater reality for us? Like Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so my job as someone who walks in faith is everywhere I go, everything I do, I'm trying to make heaven a reality now, not after I die. Because when I was a kid, that was what the thing was. It's like, man, we need to get saved so when we die, we can go to heaven and not hell. And that was it. That was the cell. Let me tell you something today. Well, do you want to go to hell? No. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes. All right, pray this prayer with me. Now you get to go to heaven. Good job. Yay. That's not the cell, guys. You don't have to wait till you die to experience heaven. Our call as believers of people who experience that transforming love of Jesus Christ is to make heaven a reality in the people's lives around us now. And so that's why every morning when I get up and I go and I spend time with the Lord, I spend a little part of every prayer praying for heaven to invade my earth. And yet, you know what I know? I know that there's no sickness in heaven. So I'm praying for healing. I know that hearts aren't ripped apart in heaven. So I'm praying for the healing of hearts of the people I know. I'm praying for a manifestation of heaven right here on our earth. And that's faith. That's putting our eyes on what we can't see. To realize that this earth is not my home. I have a homeland. And it's not here. This is temporary. Everything is temporary. I almost got to find that out this week. That everything is very, very temporary. But that's eternal. That's why it tells us in the Word to store up our treasures in heaven. Where the moth doesn't destroy and rust doesn't destroy. Everything is about storing up everything we have in heaven. And if we can get to a place we live our lives that way, we'll, we'll, we'll hang on to the things of this world a lot less. And the things of, of earth will grow strangely dim. I'm not going to sing it this week. It says this in 15, if they had been thinking about the land which they'd gone out from, they would have an opportunity to return. And this goes to sermons we've preached about putting our eyes on our homeland. Putting our eyes on heaven. Not just so they can be like, man, I wish we were all in heaven all the time. No, putting our eyes on heaven so we can bring it here. And not looking back, because this is what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, if anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back, they're not worthy of the kingdom. 
but putting our eyes on what God has for us and say, you know what, God, if that's what heaven is like, then let God, I want it now. I want you now. I want to see you now. I'm going to seek your face now, as we saw earlier in chapter 11. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me, that's an exclamation point. So it says like, like, like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many believe Jesus is alive today? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And this is what really tears me up as we... we close out this last part. It says that in verse 16, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, it is not ashamed, uh, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them a city. How many know that this, this is temporary? And it says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In fact, let's go there. Over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And worship team or whoever is around, if you can And I'll just say, I, I, when I was in my early 20s, I don't know how many hours and days and weeks and months I spent in this passage right here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. It says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And, and just so you know, when he's talking about this tent, he's talking about our bodies. He's talking about our lives that we've built up for ourselves right here. For in this tent, we groan, longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life he who has prepared for us prepared for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as his, as a guarantee So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. What strikes me in this passage and of what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is, is Abraham, he, he was living in these tents. He was, 
he traveled from place to place, but he looked forward to a day, to a city. Not, not just a city, an earthly city, a city whose builder, who's found, the person who laid the foundation is God himself. And what this writer is saying, the same thing is like, like we are in these, these tents, these temporary tents, but we have a permanent home. Can you imagine for a second? Going camping. And you set up your tent. And you look around like, you know what? This is a pretty nice tent. I kind of like it here. I, I think I'll stay. And so you start investing in your tent. Uh, I think, you know what we really need in here? We need a couch. You bring a couch in there because you, you want to be comfortable in your tent. It's kind of hot, so maybe I should bring in some AC into this tent. We're going to eat here, so let's, honey, we need to go out and buy a dining room table for our tent. Some of you do this. I know the blocks. They're way into camping. My goodness gracious. I've, I've never camped so fancy until I went with the, with the blocks. I was like, you don't need a house at all. You've got a tent. Spending all of this time investing in this little tent when you have a home. You have a house that you're living in. I know if it were me, I'd start doing that. My wife would be like, honey, we have a house. I have a bed there. I like it. Let's just go home. In fact, that's the reason why most of our camping trips get canceled. We get to the lake. We set up the tent. We start looking at it, and she's like, it's hot. Let's just go home. She's groaning. She's groaning for her home. And yet, spiritually, that's the way we're supposed to be, to realize that this is just a tent, and that is my home. And to li live my life in such a way where I stop trying to just hang on to this so much. Because the reality is that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. And that's where I need to invest my everything, my everything, every decision made in the light of eternity. And when we get a hold of that, people of God, when we get a hold of that, it changes the way we make decisions on a daily basis. Should I do this one thing? Should I do this thing? Should I do that thing? Well, let's think about it in light of eternity. I, I know I said this the other day. Imagine, imagine a line drawn all the way around this room being eternity. And this tiny, tiny little dot on the wall is our life here. Here you were born. Here you died. In eternity. And yet we try to hang on to that little dot so hard. Jesus made it really clear when he was calling people to come be his disciples. He made it very clear. 
All this stuff is just stuff. Leave it behind. Follow me. It's just the stuff. It's just the temper. It will go away. But what's eternal? Just, just to be real transparent with you guys this morning, it's, it's, that's one reason I can't get myself to quit being a cross-country coach. I don't, I don't have the time for it. Yeah, I know, you're cheering right now. You're not the only one. I don't have the time for it. It takes so much energy. I, I don't like getting up that early. And yet when I walk into that practice and see those students and see the impact I can have on their lives, in fact, that some of them are in this room this morning, well, you're forced to be here, but some of you are in this room this morning just because saying yes to that. That wasn't a decision made based on what I need on this earth. That's a decision made based on eternity. And the eternal impact I know I can have on those students, I will, that, that's another youth group I have with severe limitations of what I can legally say or do. But it doesn't matter. That life of Christ is overflowing to those students, and they see it, and they know it. Will you stand with me this morning as we go to the Lord? I, I want our hearts to be set on that on that home that eternal home whose maker and builder is God I have a homework assignment for us and hopefully when you go home, all the people that hear you do this were here, and they'll understand it. Otherwise, you're going to seem a little crazy. I'm okay with that. But if you could, when you go home today, when you get to the place that you live, would you mind, before you go in the door, would you mind just stopping and saying out loud the same way Abraham changed his name? And people said out loud to him all the time, Father of many nations, would you stop and look at that place where you live and say, this is not my home. And I don't mean that's not your home. That's where your family is. It's where the people you love are. That's, that's not what I mean. Your heart's still there with the people inside. I don't want that to be, I don't want to sow that seed. But to look at that structure, the physical structure and just to look at it and say, this is not my home. Some of you are here together, so you hold each other accountable. This is not my home. I have an eternal home. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up and you spend your time with the Lord, because I know you're doing it, right? That you say, okay, Lord, how does this message how do I filter my week, my decisions today on this Monday morning? How do I filter my decisions of today in light of eternity? How will I walk by faith knowing that heaven is my real home?
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that in it's in you we live and move and we have our being. And so, Father God, I, I pray that we would stop living our lives by the things we can see and we begin to walk into a realm of faith. Lord, that we look into the future and we speak what we see and we live our lives. We move. We walk out in obedience based on those things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.